Welcome, boils and ghouls, to Handle with Scare, a horror podcast brought to you by Totally Drunk and Vashti. Be sure to stay connected with our show via social media on Twitter at Handle with Scare. You can email us at handlewithscarepod at gmail.com and find more information on our website at www.handlewithscarepod.com. Now, this week's going to be a little bit different. Uh, unfortunately, Vashti is not here with me. Uh, I don't have a backup guest planned either. Uh, so really hoping that Vash will be back with me here on our next episode. But she had uh, a family emergency coming up, so she was not able to join me tonight. But anyways, you know, I'm here. You know, it's been two weeks since our last episode, and... Uh, there's actually been quite a bit going on. We got a decent amount of news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con, which, of course, as we mentioned on our last episode, went completely online this year, uh, which was like the Comic-Con at home. They were doing a ton of panels. It was a free event. A lot of stuff is over on their YouTube uh, that you can still go and check out. Uh, so we got a couple of updates on that front. And, of course, we are now in August... Uh, so, you know, we got a couple of things to look forward to in regards to some of the other streaming services that are out there. And tonight, I will be taking a look at what Shudder is going to be providing with us for our genre entertainment. Now, before I can talk about that, though, let's see what is going on around the community and the horror genre as a whole in this week's The Rundown. So first off, we have an update on Scream 5, and it looks like Dewey won't be the only role being reprised for Scream 5, as we have learned that Courtney Cox is going to be back as news reporter Gail Weathers. Now, as we have mentioned, Scream 5, uh, which, you know, still untitled at this point, it is expected to be released at some point during 2021. Right now, obviously, the biggest question is whether or not Nev Campbell is going to return as Scream's final girl, Sydney Prescott. Uh, but we do know, like, there have been conversations that have been happening between uh, the Scream 5 directors and Nev. So, you know, really just hoping for the best uh, on that front because it would be really weird to have a Scream movie without Sydney in it. Uh, outside of that, though, I know Matthew Lillard has expressed interest in returning to the series, which I, I, I don't get it. Like, you're kind of not alive, dude. Like, Stu died. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the deal is uh, on that case. And, like, even if they did bring Matthew Lillard back, it's not like... Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go like, oh, like, I'm his long-lost twin? No, don't do that. Like, that's just that's just such a bad idea. Uh, but hopefully we'll get Nev back and we'll see, uh, you know, what sort of updates we're going to have going in. But obviously Scream as a whole has been very meta. Uh, I know the third one gets a lot of flack in four. Kind of another, like, split film amongst like scream fans as well as uh the horror community as a whole you know i've already i've already spoken at length about my thoughts on the fourth movie which i still enjoyed but a couple of missed opportunities in regards to what they could have done 
uh, with the killers in that case, because, you know, I keep waiting for the killers to get away, at least in one of these movies, and that has not yet happened, you know, let alone not losing any of these cornerstone pieces that we have seen throughout, because that was one of the bigger rumors that was circulating going into uh, production of Scream 4, as, you know, both Dewey, Gale Weathers, and Sydney, uh, despite, you know, the heavy teases, were not killed in Scream 4. So, you would have to assume one of them is going to get offed in the opening sequence. I mean, it's got to happen at this point, right? Like, how many main characters survive in a series this far along? Not that many I can think of. Let me, let, let me know what you guys think on that front. In other news, we've got a couple of new themes in regards to gaming. Uh, both board games as well as card games coming out. And we have the first officially licensed Friday the 13th board game, which is available now from The Op. Now, this is Horror at Camp Crystal Lake, and this is a press-your-luck survival-type game that puts you and your friends in the roles of camp counselors as you face off with Jason Voorhees in uh, essentially like a five-night sequence. So you're basically going around looking to gather the most valuable supplies uh, in order to basically like flee or find safety. So as a player, you're basically looking to secure like an axe. I know there are keys, cleavers, the gas tank, flashlights, frying pans. Uh, but along the way, you are also able to, like, pull a Jason token. And if you grab two of those, you're basically dead. But what's interesting about this is that as one of the counselors, you're able to stockpile these supply tokens. And you're also able to kind of, like, backstab the other counselors uh, by using the fear cards that are in play. Now, in the game, there are six different characters, which all fit different tropes for the genre. You have the final girl, which, you know, I understand why it's there, but you're not always going to win, so you're not always going to be the final girl. I'm sorry, that's just not how it works. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, you have the partier, the nerd, the jock, the diva, and the nice guy. Now, the game is set to have anywhere from three to six players. It is uh, basically age 17 and up. I, I really don't think that's going to be an issue uh, just because it is a board game. Like, you're not really going to be seeing gore or anything uh, in that regard. Uh, but the retail price for this is $29.99. So nothing that is going to break the bank by any means. And, you know, it looks like this is taken... Not necessarily like a direct approach from the Friday the 13th video game that we have, uh, which is very similar to games like Dead by Daylight. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the same, like, key things that you're working at obtaining uh, kind of, like, do carry over in this case. So definitely going to be picking this one up at some point to try out. Uh, outside of that, guys, it's been a pretty busy week for Gremlins as a franchise, as we have learned of two new things that are coming out. We have a holiday countdown calendar, or an advent calendar. 
uh, which is being released by Jax Pacific. So this has 31 different slots for the month of December, each of which has a minifigure, which stands at one inch tall. And of course, the figures are all going to be based on Gremlins. Uh, but what's cool about this is you're going to have characters from both Gremlins as well as Gremlins 2, the new batch. So you can expect to see the advent calendars hidden stores this fall. And, you know, if that's not enough, there is also a card game coming out from Funko, which is due to hit shelves on September 30th. Uh, and that card game is called Gremlins Holiday Havoc. So in this game, you are basically flipping over cards to reveal, you know, creatures from Gremlins. And, you know, if you see the same card back to back, you have to pounce fast to score. Uh, so, you know, it, this is basically Slapjack, uh, the best way to describe it. So you're looking for the pairs, you know, you put your hand down on top of the card. If you're the first person to hit the card, uh, you know, you get the cards, basically. Uh, but, you know, they, I know there's, like, multipliers in this game as well. So you have ten different gremlin characters. Uh, there's also Gizmo. Uh, as a card as well. They also have five different location cards, uh, which are also inspired from the movie. I'm not sure what role they specifically have or how that's going to come into play, but I know there is a specific card that when it sees play signals like the end of the game. So whoever has the most points or matches in this case at that point in time uh, will basically win the game. Now, what's great about this is this is a very easy game to pick up and play. I mean, Slapjack has been around for, you know, Lord knows how long at this point. Uh, but, you know, this is a game that anyone can pick up and play. Uh, it is for three to five players. And, you know, they expect the gameplay to be on average around 15 minutes. So pretty fast paced here. And it is available to pre-order now via Amazon and the best part about this is, guys, it's only $6.99. Really good value for the money and the cost. So definitely go and pick this one up. Quite a bit of The Walking Dead news has come out of San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, primarily just revolving all around the series that have been happening, as well as a new one that is on the way. Uh, so, for starters, let's talk about the primary series here, The Walking Dead Season 10. The finale is set to air on October 4th. Uh, not too many details about this. We do know that there are going to be six extra episodes set to air in early 2021 for season number 10. But the finale is in October, and I'm really confused by this. So I, I don't know if that means, like, these six episodes happen before the finale or what the deal is. Uh, in that regard, but the finale episode, which is a certain doom, uh, is going to bring Maggie back into the mix as, you know, the war uh, with the Whisperers is going to reach its bloody conclusion. Now, if you were a fan of uh, the 
first spinoff, Fear the Walking Dead. Well, that is also set to return for its sixth season, and that will be debuting this October on October 11th. So, based off of the teaser that was released at Comic-Con, we know that Morgan's fate continues to hang in the balance, uh, and by the looks of it, Season 6 is going to take more of an anthology series type approach, as each episode will only be focused on a select number uh, of characters out there. Now, beyond that, guys, like, there's another Walking Dead spinoff that is going to be happening and it is going to be a limited series it will only be two seasons and it's the walking dead world beyond now this is set to premiere immediately following the season 10 finale which as i mentioned will be premiering on october 4th now world beyond is going to be telling the story of the first generation to come of age in the apocalypse so it's going to be more of a young adult feel to the universe. And, you know, based off of the teaser that we saw, the series is going to be taking place uh, after 10 years in regards to the zombie apocalypse, like when it first started. And it, what's interesting about this is there seems to be obviously a connection between this spinoff and the main series because we've seen hints at who has been piloting those mysterious helicopters that we have seen in a few different uh, times in regards to the main series. Uh, most notably towards, you know, the start of the main series as well. Uh, as, I mean, really, like, one of the last times we saw Rick as he was put into one of those helicopters as well at one point. So, I, I'm a little conflicted with this one. Yes, it is a limited series. I, I'm a little worried in regards to this one just because of, you know, it, it following a younger generation that it's going to be more of, like, a CW-type series. Um, so... We'll have to see what sort of gore is going to be delivered in this particular spinoff. So I'm not going to have the highest expectations, but, you know, I will definitely be giving it a shot. And, you know, I'm sure if you're not sick of The Walking Dead by now, you will be all for this as really not a ton of zombie series are still ongoing at this point in time. Now, in movie news, guys... We have recently learned that In Search of Darkness is getting the sequel treatment. We do know that some unused material that uh, would have been in the first documentary is expected to be used in the sequel. So part two due out this October and you will be able to buy it either as a standalone film or they will be offering a double pack which will include, you know, the first part uh, so, no idea, like, what the running time of the sequel is going to be as of yet. But you are able to stream In Search of Darkness, at least part one, right now on Shudder. And, you know, if the runtime is anything like the original, or the first movie, it's probably going to be around four and a half hours, seeing as the first documentary has a runtime of four hours and 24 minutes. Uh, and I'll be honest, guys, like, I still need to sit down and watch it. It's on the watch list. I will probably get to it, hopefully, by our next episode. Because, 
you know, I, I've been waiting on this documentary to hit really any sort of service, so I, I gotta check it out to see all of the 80s goodies that have been jam-packed into this, and I cannot wait to see what the sequel is going to entail, whether it is them bringing on additional, uh, you know, genre icons, filmmakers, uh, or they're going to be focusing on just different movies entirely. We'll have to wait and see on that front. But, you know, we don't need to wait and see what is coming to Shudder as we are at the start of August officially, and we know all of the releases that are set to hit the streaming service this month. So let's take a look at what the genre providings are for the month of August. So coming on August 1st, we have one of the cult classics, Squirm, as well as Urban Legends Final Cut. Coming to Shudder on August 3rd, we have Amityville 1992, It's About Time. Uh, I believe that's the one with the grandfather clock, if I'm not mistaken. On August 6th, we have La Llorona. Not to be confused with The Curse of La Llorona. On August 10th, we have the Rain Trilogy, Rain, Rain 2, and Rain Zero, which was the prequel. On August 14th, we have the Summer Sleepover Special for The Last Drive-In. I cannot wait for that. Uh, followed by Jawbreaker, Hellmaster, and Uncaged on August 17th. On August 20th, we have Random Acts of Violence. Followed by The Evil Mortuary, One Dark Night, and 30 Miles from Nowhere, releasing on August 24th, with the final offering of the month being The Shed on August 27th. Now, I'll be honest, a lot of these I'm not super familiar with, at least on like the newer side. Haven't really heard too much about Hellmaster. Uh, Jawbreakers is another... Or Jawbreaker is another like 90s classic that I have not seen since it first came out. So I am definitely going to have to revisit that one. But, you know, the Shed and Random Acts of Violence have been, you know, once I've heard about like on like Fantastic Fest or like just other festivals here as of uh, as recently. But really for me, when I look at this, you know, you guys know I am a sucker for Asian horror or just asian cinema in general so i cannot wait to go revisit the rain series as you know honestly like that's what sparked you know the western interest in j horror when we got you know the americized versions of the rain the grudge one missed call you know so on and so on of course you know those were two kind of limited uh success but you know this would be a good follow-up after you know i recently watched uh, Ju-On Origins, which was the new Grudge Netflix series that had premiered this past month on Netflix. Uh, which, you know, I haven't really given my thoughts on that as of yet. I, I was waiting on Vashti to actually sit down and watch the six episodes. Uh, and it is a relatively short series, as, you know, the episodes in themselves are only like 24 minutes. A uh, lot of abuse in that series, so, uh, so if you have a trigger warning uh, of any kind in regards to something like that. Please keep that in mind before you sit down and watch Juan. Which, of course, guys, leads us to our now play-in. 
So last Tuesday, we watched two 1981 movies. We started with Bloody Birthday, followed by The Burning. Uh, you know, I wish Wash was here to talk about Bloody Birthday, just because that is a very interesting slasher movie. Uh, most notorious for the people strip scene, uh, which is definitely, I mean, honestly, like, that's probably the best part of that entire movie. Uh, the kills in that aren't that great, and it's kind of, you, it's very different for, like, a killer kids type movie, because the whole time you're just wondering, where the hell are your parents? It really feels like you were watching, like, a Peanut cartoon, or something like Ed, Ed and Eddie, you know, something like that, but just, you know, set in, you know, a murderous kid undertone. Uh, but, you know, this week, we wanted to reflect on The Fog, which was part of our 1980 double feature that we aired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and we paired that with Terror Train. So, you know, we had a little bit of a Jamie Lee Curtis double feature in that regard as well. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can talk about when it comes to The Fog. We're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about the remake, for starters. I mean, we're just, we're not gonna go there, and if you've seen it, you probably know why. But for those that aren't familiar with John Carpenter's The Fog, the plot follows uh, this California coastal town, and, you know, strange things are afoot here. Uh, you know, they're preparing to commemorate their centenary, so they're turning, you know, 100 years old uh, as a town, and you have this reverend, Malone, who stumbles across this dark secret about the town's founding. So there's this discovery of a fisherman's mutilated corpse that happens in a movie, and you start to see this mysterious fog descending upon the village, which, you know, there seems to be something in the fog as these vengeful ghosts of mariners who were killed in a shipwreck uh, start to wreak havoc on the town and, you know, all sorts of stuff goes on at that point. So let's take a look at the body count in this film. And I'll be honest, I don't have the character names written down. Uh, I, I know two of them for sure, but most of them, most of the uh, kills in this are local fishermen in this town. Uh, so we have one that was stabbed twice. Uh, he was stabbed once in the back and then once in the chest. Our second kill sees one of the fishermen's uh, being hooked in the back. The third kill sees a fisherman uh, getting stabbed in the face. They don't really show too much of the kill, so I, I don't know if it was like a direct like eyeball shot. It, it's kind of hinted, but not shown on camera, uh, at least for like any sort of gore. This is this is very like a this slasher, so to speak, is very less is more. You don't really see a ton of gore in this movie throughout. Uh, the fourth kill, again, is to a fisherman who is choked, and we see his throat getting torn open. Uh, you don't see the gore in that one either, but you can see, like, the motion happening. And then you have the neighbor, Mrs. Kobritz, uh, who was basically ripped apart by the Mariners when she opened the door and stepped out into the fog. Uh, so, yeah, clear warning when it's late at night... There's a mysterious fog outside. Just don't open the door. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have Reverend Malone, who is the sixth kill in the movie and the final kill as he is slashed in the neck 
possibly even beheaded. You know, we're not quite sure what happens uh, in that shot. As again, not everything is shown exactly as it occurs. But let's talk about tidbits about the fog. There, there's just so much you can kind of unpack uh, and kind of digest here. So I, I wrote down like six or seven things. So when you look at the fog, this is definitely a throwback story uh, to the 1940s and the 1950s. Basically circling around like the ghost stories that John Carpenter would have watched as a kid. So you have the concept of the movie, and the idea essentially came when Hill and Carpenter were in England. They were visiting Stonehenge, and they saw this fog bank sitting on the water. So, you know, Carpenter seeing this was asking, you know, what if there was something in the fog? So they took that idea, and then they added it to something that happened in real life, where a ship... Uh, that was loaded with gold, had sunk off of the California coast, and that's basically the premise that they ran with at that point. Now, throughout the movie, there is a lighthouse location, uh, which, you know, just so happened to tie in perfectly as it was the second foggiest point in America, uh, the top one being Nantucket Island. And this is a film that was shot on a 30-day schedule, which both started and ended when there was a full moon. So, interesting tidbit there. And, of course, you know, you have the lead ghost that was played by the special effects master, Rob Botten, who would later go on to work with John Carpenter on The Thing. And last but not least, we have, you know, looking back at the lighthouse, there is that spiral staircase... Uh, that was used for the radio studio, uh, which was a set piece from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, so basically, production ended up finding this in the storage, and they just used it for this movie. Uh, and I know, like, they... It's a lot easier to just get jazz music as opposed to, like, licensing the rock music, which is why, you know, they, they use uh, jazz music as the baseline for, you know, the radio station uh, that is there for uh, The Fog. Now, in regards to my review, guys, like, I'll be honest, like, The Fog, for me, probably not near the top of my favorite John Carpenter movies. I, I understand, like, the less is more approach to this, but you really don't get to see a whole lot, even in this case. You know, there are some instances where in other movies, your imagination kind of runs wild. But there are too many kills within the fog that feel like a, like a one-hit note, essentially. Not a ton of variety in that case, either. But just the concept of the movie is something that really stood out. Uh, it's definitely something that's kept with me, like... It, it's very reminiscent of the feeling that I got when I watched The Mist uh, for the first time. Which, honestly, that's still, like, one of the most depressing movies I have ever seen in my life. And that, that movie still gets me to this day. Uh, so, you know, those two are really connected uh, pretty closely to me. But, 
You know, this is kind of like middle of the pack for Carpenter for me. You know, I I like the jazz undertones that they use, and I understand why they did it. I thought, like, the filming locations really worked to the benefit of the movie, as like, they didn't always have to rely on their own methods of creating, you know, that billowing fog that consumes this town. But, you know, this is not a movie that I can sit down and watch all the time. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't put it on the same caliber as, you know, Halloween or, or Halloween 2 or, like, Christine. Um, I'm a lot closer to some of Carpenter's other work than this. But, you know, it, it's still a good movie, but it's just a little bit too slow for my liking. Uh, but really, like, the biggest drawback for me is just a lack of gore in it. You know, I'm fine with the kill count. I just wanted a little bit more. But I, I like the idea of, you know, the vengeful ghosts attacking the town. And, you know, like, there's a whole backstory with it. And I was trying to think, like, what it really reminded me of. Because it's not really an approach that we have seen all that often in the genre. I think really the only thing that would come to mind, and this is, like, year, years upon years later... Like, in regards to, like, paying some sort of debt to, you know, this group. It was probably Dead Snow with the, uh, the zombie Nazis. Like, that's the only, only other thing that I think of that even comes close to, uh, the reason behind all the happenings here in the fog. But, you know, the effects were great for, you know, what they were trying to accomplish. You know, very scenic type movie. But it's just middle of the pack for me. I'd say two out of four stars, but I don't know what Vash thinks of it. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure she likes it a lot more than I do. Uh, but just my honest take on that was so, you know, after seeing so so many like Carpenter pieces at, at this point in time, you know, it's definitely not quite at the same level as some of his other works. Now, looking ahead to this week's Twisted Tuesday, this will be on August 4th. We're going to be taking a look at uh, a recent buzzworthy horror release that is currently streaming on Shudder and recently released. And that is Host, which was filmed entirely over Zoom. Uh, I've heard quite a bit about this, and I'm very intrigued by it. You know, this was something that was shot, obviously, during the pandemic. All of the actors basically did their own special effects so if you want to talk about guerrilla filmmaking similar to like what we were talking about with one cut of the dead i am so intrigued by this i want to see how this movie is pulled off uh and we're going to be following that up with the den which was released in 2014 and that movie focuses on uh this young girl who uh, basically witnesses this brutal murder in an online chat and, you know, there's that immersion in a nightmare where she and her loved ones begin to get targeted, uh, you know, for a similarly grisly fate. Now, of course, with Twisted Tuesday, you can join us on cast at bit.ly slash Twisted Twos. Uh, and that starts every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. You know, you can grab the app. You know, it's, I know it's available on, uh, you know, iPhone android there's also a desktop app if you want to watch it on your computer and we hope to see you guys out there but twisted Tuesday, always a good night and you know we always try to make 
uh, for some fun conversation and just trying to find the secret meaning behind any movie that we watch, uh, which should be pretty good. And I, I know I know, Host is actually fairly short. I think it's only like 50 minutes. And The Den is not... I don't even think that one's like an hour 20, so it might actually be a shorter Tuesday night than usual. Uh, so who knows? Maybe... Maybe we'll have a surprise third entry. You'll have to uh, tune in and find out on that front. But anyways, guys, I'm going to call it here. Again, you know, apologies. Bosch is not here. This was a solo cast. You know, it is what it is. She'll be back, I promise. Uh, but if you guys want to help us out, please do us a favor. Head on over to iTunes and write us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know if you have any ideas for the podcast, whether, you know, it's discussion topics, you know, segments that we could incorporate into the show or anything like that. You know, feel free to reach out to us. We are open ears and we would love to hear from you. And if you want to reach us, you can do so a number of different ways. You can email the show at handlewhiskerpod at gmail.com. You can find our website at www.handlewhiskerpod.com. We do have a Discord server, and that is at bit.ly slash hwsdiscord. Follow us on Twitter at handlewhiskere. As for myself, Totally Drunk, you can find me on Twitter at Totally Drunk. And you can find my co-host, Vashti, on Twitter at Vashti Leaby. That is V-A-S-H-T-I. L-E-A-H-B. So with that being said, guys, I appreciate you all for tuning in this week for Handle Whisker, and we hope to see you guys back on Tuesday for our next edition of Twisted Tuesday. You guys stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time.